From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, I'm ready for my close-up. I think a general rule of thumb is follow very early glaucoma with greater emphasis on structure and follow later glaucoma with greater uh, emphasis on function. First this. As Seen From Here reaches ophthalmologists in 98 countries, transfers more than half a terabit of podcasts every month, but the potential audience is much larger. Please tell your colleagues about this free resource, Flattening the Ophthalmic World. And while you're at it, let your residents and fellows know about Open Ophthalmology, a free basic science video podcast, already a force in ophthalmic education with 1,800 viewers watching 6,000 video lectures every month. Information wants to be free. Help me give it away. The problem with my recording a cup-to-disc ratio of 0.5 is that it may not be your 0.5. Despite our putting quantifiers on optic cup size, the values we choose remain too subjective. So how do we get around this? One way is to photograph the patient's optic disc, and a lot of ophthalmologists, myself included, do just this, in the assumption that the camera never lies. But how valuable are disc photos as a means of following patients over time? Henry Jampel knows, and I'm delighted to welcome him back to a scene from here. How important are optic disc photographs in following glaucoma patients for disease progression? Uh, The... Uh, general orthodoxy has been that uh, they were critical, that the gold standard for determining uh, whether an eye had progressed structurally was by comparison of uh, serial stereo photographs. I mean, that's that's what I was taught uh, when I was um, uh, a resident. And uh, within the past few years, a paper came out of the group in La Jolla uh, suggesting that uh, this ought to be the gold standard for research studies as well. In other words, the way to be sure that someone even had glaucoma uh, was to demonstrate that the optic nerve appearance had changed. Now, how important is progression in optic disc photos in establishing the diagnosis of glaucoma in clinical practice? Uh, well, I think that um, uh, that is um, uh, a great, if, if you can document a change in the appearance of the optic disc over time, uh, you can then uh, clinch the diagnosis of glaucoma in almost all instances. The, the problem is, is that um, uh, we rarely encounter that. Uh, We rarely have uh, serial uh, photographs, and we rarely have serial photographs that demonstrate true change. So uh, I would say that uh, in the overall scheme of things, uh, uh, documenting progression uh, to make a diagnosis of glaucoma is not something that is generally done clinically, although as I just mentioned, Uh, There are researchers who think that in a research study, they can 
make the diagnosis and categorize uh, patients as having glaucoma on that basis. Prior to your study, what was known about the reliability of optic disc photos as an observer-independent parameter? Well, uh, the the previous studies were uh, all over uh, the map. Uh, Some investigators uh, found high inter-observer correlation. Others, uh, the point of the the paper was to show how uh, poor the uh, correlation uh, was. Uh, If you look at um, uh, inter-observer variability in the major clinical uh, trials, uh, it's actually somewhat difficult to interpret just how uh, reproducible uh, they were. And one has to realize that in the major clinical trials, uh, they were looking uh, at very high quality uh, photographs, whereas what we would have in clinical practice uh, is generally uh, not as good. So uh, I would say that uh, all, all over the map. Your paper worked with data from the Gill study. What is the Gills study? Yeah, the, the Gill study, Gills is an acronym for Glaucoma Imaging Longitudinal uh, Study. Uh, this was a uh, longitudinal uh, study uh, in which we followed a cohort of some 200 patients with established glaucoma uh, for several years. Uh, and the purpose was to determine which baseline characteristics upon entry into the study uh, would predict uh, further progression. So uh, one of the baseline characteristics that could have predicted further progression, of course, would be the optic nerve appearance uh, at the beginning of the the, uh, uh, study. We're still uh, looking at the uh, progression data from this study, Uh, And the reason that this adjunct study got done was because if you're going to determine what the risk factors are for progression, you need to know which eyes actually progressed, and optic disc progression would be one criteria for progression. Can I get you to describe the design of your study? Uh, Right. So uh, we went uh, uh, back, and uh, for each patient... Uh, we determined if they had um, uh, photographs, optic disc photographs uh, uh, that uh, spanned at least a period of uh, uh, one year uh, and and oftentimes uh, more than that. Uh, We then um, uh, scrambled uh, the sequence of the first and last uh, photographs Uh, and then had uh, three glaucoma specialist observers uh, look uh, for each eye at the uh, first pair and the last pair, not knowing if it was first or last, and uh, grade the disc as either changed or unchanged. We also looked for the presence of uh, disc hemorrhage, and we also asked the observer if the optic disc appearance changed uh, how did it do so in a in a notch or uh, in a concentric uh, pattern? Uh, then, before uh, unmasking in terms of sequence, uh, the three of us uh, got together, uh, and uh, for those uh, 
discs where we did not uh, agree that there had been change. One or two of us thought there was change, the other didn't. Uh, we adjudicated those and came up with a consensus. Once we did that, we then uh, broke the sequence code and uh, saw how we did. What were your findings? What were your results? Uh, well, well, first of all, if you looked at the number of optic discs that were uh, graded as uh, worsening, uh, there was a uh, great disparity in the uh, number of uh, optic discs that the three observers uh, thought had progressed. Uh, one observer was uh, very parsimonious in calling progression. Uh, one observer was relatively much laxer, uh, and the third uh, was in the uh, middle. Uh, when we uh, did a kappa correlation uh, of the um, uh, three observers, uh, the kappa was really quite low. So uh, the three observers, all expert glaucomatologists, uh, could not agree on whether change had occurred uh, or not. Uh, then when we sat around uh, and decided uh, who had changed uh, and who hadn't and uh, broke the code, uh, it turned out that uh, we, by consensus, felt that uh, 10 optic disks had changed. Uh, but looking back, uh, four of those optic disks we all agreed uh, were worse uh, at the earlier time than the later time, uh, which we interpreted as being uh, our deficiency in looking at the optic disc as opposed to the optic disc actually uh, improving. So those really were the uh, that's really the core finding. The disagreement between observers suggests high inter-observer variability. Does the failure of observers to correctly identify the time sequence of the photos with progression suggest a high intra-observer variability as well? Uh, yeah, I think it, it probably does. Uh, unfortunately, uh, one of the weaknesses of the study is that we did not uh, assess uh, intra-observer variability. Uh, in other words, we did not uh, ask the observers to uh, go through the same set of photos twice. At, at, at the start, it would have been painful uh, to do. Uh, and then once we uh, knew, once we were no longer uh, masked to the amount of progression that we had called, uh, it would not have been scientifically honest, in my opinion, to go back and redo it, because clearly Observer 3, uh, who most likely was overcalling the amount of progression, uh, would be more conservative the second time around, which would definitely increase the variability uh, and that sort of thing. Because when we originally set out to do the study, it wasn't to determine intra-observer variability. Uh, we really went into this uh, with much more modest goal simple goal, we thought, of determining which eyes had progressed on disc photography uh, for the purposes of then identifying progressed eyes, uh, and then um, 
Uh, it got more interesting when we realized that we had trouble agreeing among ourselves. Uh, and at that point, although it would have been interesting uh, to look at the intra-observer, intra-observer variability, we had lost that uh, opportunity. Do you think that the observers would have done better if they had been given a set of standard reference photographs? Of course, the other side of that coin is how relevant would the study have been uh, to clinical practice if, if they had been given reference photos? Yeah, I don't, um, I don't think that uh, reference photographs are really relevant uh, here. You would have to have some sort of reference for uh, progression, and uh, I don't know... Uh, how that would have uh, worked. Uh, so I think the answer is um, uh, is is no. Uh, I don't think a standard reference set would have been helpful uh, in terms of judging progression. Do you think that the odds were stacked against you in this study because these patients having glaucoma with visual field loss had less room for progression anyway? Um, I think that... Uh, uh, the odds were stacked somewhat against us. I think the task of uh, the reading center and the OAT study uh, was probably somewhat easier. Uh, those patients had um, normal visual fields. Uh, very few patients would have entered the OAT study with cut-to-disc ratios of 0.8 or 0.9, uh, for example. And so I like to think that since there is a lot more uh, disc to be changed, it would be easier to uh, detect. Uh, we uh, did look at that hypothesis and uh, determined if we did any better uh, with the earlier glaucoma than the later. We, we couldn't uh, demonstrate that. But I think it illustrates the general principle uh, that I believe most of us believe, which is uh, once you have um, substantial visual field loss, that um, uh, following the visual field is going to be a much better way to look for progression than following the optic uh, disc at this that point. So although uh, functional change can precede structural change, I think a general rule of thumb is uh, follow very early glaucoma with greater emphasis on structure and follow later glaucoma with greater uh, emphasis on function. How do your results compare with those of other researchers? Uh, our results are uh, more discouraging uh, than those of most other researchers. Uh, although, if you sort of uh, dig deeply uh, maybe uh, they really aren't that much worse. Uh, one of the pieces of information that a lot of studies of this type don't uh, give you uh, is um, uh, how many uh, discs seem to improve over time. Although sometimes you can ferret that out if, if you uh, look deeply into the tables uh, and the text. So although the fact that we, in mass fashion, uh, found four out of ten, and the numbers are very small, obviously, uh, uh, that improved. If you look carefully at some of the other studies, there's a, uh, uh, always a, uh, a proportion of optic nerves that seem to have improved, but everyone always emphasizes 
the ones that have worsened. For instance, I don't think any place uh, in the uh, ocular hypertension treatment study literature uh, can you uh, find the number of uh, photos of discs that appear to get better. They just talk about the worsening. They don't talk about getting better. So I think overall the results that we uh, present are, are fairly discouraging in terms of uh, using optic disc photography. You wrote that progression may have been difficult to detect because of the relatively short time between the initial and follow-up photographs. What interval would have been long enough to assess progression without being so long as to miss important clinical findings? That is, how frequently should we be taking optic nerve head photos? Right. Well, it, it's always a um, there's always a trade-off between uh, you know doing it too frequently, which is impractical, and uh, not doing it frequently enough. Uh, and um, missing something that you could have detected uh, earlier. Uh, I could not uh, uh, recommend the routine practice of annual disc photographs, and I think the number of practitioners who do that is probably exceedingly uh, small. Uh, what I uh, teach uh, and preach is, um, uh, that it's important to have a baseline image of the optic disc uh, in the medical record. And, you know, that more and more these days is um, uh, something generated by computer, either HRT, OCT, or GDX. Uh, and, um, or, but an optic nerve photograph is uh, absolutely uh, fine. Uh, then I can tell you a uh, practitioner would be greatly exceeding uh, the standard of care these days if he or she had an image in the chart uh, and then uh, compared the clinical exam uh, to the uh, image, which is mainly what I would recommend if one has uh, disc photography, uh, would perhaps take an additional photograph if one uh, suspects change. With the advent of... Um, image analysis systems, it becomes much easier and practical uh, to get uh, serial images, uh, but detecting progression uh, with image analysis is still in its relative uh, infancy. Given your findings and, and given the fact that we have other means of assessing um, optic nerve structure uh, like scanning laser ophthalmoscopes, although granted they don't take photographs. The, the, the data that one obtains from these devices is, is not really photographic data. Given these things, what do you think the relevance is of optic disc photographs in clinical practice now? Yeah, I would say that if the imaging systems uh, have largely supplanted the optic nerve head photographs uh, in clinical practice. And uh, just from a practical uh, point of view, uh, you know, ideally it would be great to have more than one modality. Uh, but since um, uh, no one is going to pay for that, uh, if I were advising a colleague of mine uh, what they should do to 
follow the optic nerve, I would uh, recommend uh, an image analysis uh, system if they didn't already have a photographer and stereo camera uh, in, in place. So uh, the issue then becomes uh, uh, is um, uh, change in uh, appearance of the optic nerve by stereo photograph uh, really uh, the gold standard, uh, and um, uh, it may be the the gold standard, but um, no more than 14 carats, certainly not 18 or 24 carats, the gold standard there. So um, uh, even in a research setting, I think what this paper uh, shows is that um, uh, detecting uh, glaucoma change can just be very tricky, uh, no matter how you slice it. Henry, having done this study, what do you do in your own practice? Uh, so uh, what, uh, uh, what we are doing in, in our practice uh, is um, primarily um, uh, scanning laser ophthalmoscopy, HRT3. Uh, uh, and the reasons for that are we committed to uh, uh, HRT back in uh, late 2000, uh, and we've been using it uh, serially. Uh, so the um, it's difficult to change. It's difficult to change because when you change, you you know lose all pre-existing information. So uh, I don't advise doing the, you know, spending a few years with the OCT and then trying the GDX and then uh, trying the HRT because there's more information that you get with serial examinations. Uh, the um, uh, test is very well tolerated uh, by the patients, and the HRT happens to have the most uh, sophisticated uh, progression analysis uh, at this point. So we're getting more and more comfortable uh, with the concept of progression uh, by machine, uh, although it, it still lacks uh, maybe the comfort that one might have from really seeing a definitive change on stereo photographs taken five years uh, apart. But as our study shows, uh, that that feeling doesn't come uh, very often, and it's not even always correct. So in our practice, we're using uh, scanning laser ophthalmoscopy. I think that um, you know, in some ways, this was a a modest study, but I think the uh, take-home message that uh, glaucoma progression is uh, difficult to uh, detect uh, is an, an, an important one. And uh, I have been complimented by some people for being willing to. Uh, show this relatively dirty laundry uh, since um, I, I think it's important for um, uh, both uh, uh, tremendously exciting results and um, uh, somewhat more cautionary results both to appear in the literature. Henry Jempel, thank you so much. Sure thing. All right. Bye. Henry Jempel is professor of ophthalmology at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland. His paper, Agreement Among Glaucoma Specialists in Assessing Progressive Disc Changes from Photographs in Open-Angle Glaucoma Patients appears in the January 2009 issue of the American Journal of Ophthalmology. (music) 
ask questions of Dr. Jampel or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write me with your questions or comments at jyoungmd at gmail.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.